there really is no other place to go but to the Lord. And as we grow in our faith, we really come to understand uh, that uh, because there are times when friends are not available. And sometimes even when they're available, they don't want to hear from you. <laughs> you guys know how you will ghost people and you won't respond to cell phones, or emails, or texts. Uh, but we can always have confidence when we call on the Lord that he is going to hear us uh, and respond appropriately. So where else could we go but to the Lord? It's good to see all of you who are here to be a part of our 11 a.m. worship here at the Bedford Street Congregation in Abington. Uh, I hope you are excited about being here this day, that you are excited about what God is doing in your life. Uh, I hope that you recognize that you are blessed, not just today, but you are blessed all week long. You, you guys do know that, don't you? You're not, you're not responding like you knew it, but I'll keep on talking. Uh, we're all blessed. Uh, the fact that you are alive today uh, is a great blessing. The fact that most of us are able to function with very few health issues that hinder us. Uh, that even the health issues that we are afflicted with, that modern medicine and God have found a way for us to live with those things and for us to continue to function and serve him. Uh, sisters, I got good news for you. We had a wonderful men's retreat yes, uh, this weekend in Coventry, Rhode Island. We have some new men uh, in, this, in the congregation. But we have some new men in the congregation. And, and I just believe if you have not already witnessed it when your husband came home last night, uh, you'll witness it for sure at some point this week. And, and if your husband wasn't there, your son was there, you're going to see you got a better son. If your brother was there, you're going to see that you have a, a better biological brother who, who's going to come back and, and do some things that you have been trying to get him to do. Uh, and you've learned that nagging won't do it. But the Holy Spirit and him being around other spiritually minded men uh, can bring about significant changes. And, and I just appreciate uh, witnessing and hearing some of the discussions that we had uh, over the past weekend. And so uh, change is going to come. Uh, it's been a long, long time. But Sam Cook is right. Change is going to come. And, and we're seeing changes coming to uh, Bedford Street Congregation. And so we're thankful for those brothers who were able to attend and be with us. And I need to, I, I need to call out you brothers who didn't come, because uh, you need to be called out. Uh, it's time now for men to stand up and be spiritual men, not just boys, uh, but be the kind of men that uh, a parent would want their daughter to marry. Uh, and before that, be the kind of man that a parent would want their daughter to date. Uh, the kind of man who understands that when it comes to the church gatherings, that God has called us to lead the women and children who are here. Uh, he, he has not called them to lead us. And, and one of the ways that we can get real about some of these things is in those gatherings where men come together and, and we can just talk to each other. And I'm thankful that this weekend we had some opportunities for some come to Jesus moments. Uh, and that, again, I believe we're gonna see some transformation if what the fellow said it goes beyond just uh, where we were this weekend. And I, and I believe that they were genuine. Uh, and and just, just keep praying for our men here 
and see what the Lord is going uh, to do. Uh, our guest speaker, Brother Wilson Kamara, who's a minister at the Warwick congregation, even brought some brothers from his congregation along uh, with him. So we had a good opportunity to meet some men from other congregations. And, and what you discover is that uh, we're all dealing with some of the same issues, some of the same challenges. And it's just good every now and then for people, brothers from different congregations to come together and learn together and provide an opportunity for us to get out of our comfort zone uh, and meet other people. Now, having said that, let's turn our attention to the text that has been read. So all of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I kind of introduced this last Sunday evening where we dealt with uh, something further in the book of uh, Thessalonians. Because what I want to do over the next few weeks is really deal with growth and, and really help us to understand that it is possible to grow spiritually. Uh, it is possible to become spiritually mature. Uh, not only is it possible, that's what God commands. And some of us need to be provoked uh, to get out of our infant state. Some of us need to be provoked to get out of our adolescent stage and recognize you are now or should be an adult in Christ Jesus. Uh, and adults act different than children do. You, you guys know that, right? Uh, unless there's something wrong with the adult. Uh, we, we, we act different than children. And so one of the things that we need to endeavor to do is to challenge each other to be the spiritual men and women that God wants us to be, but not only that God wants us to be, the men and women we say we are. Uh, we're, we're past talk. We're past talk about you saying you're a Christian. Let's start living like we're a Christian. That becomes your evidence of growth, not the fact that you show up on a Sunday morning, but that your behavior all week long is consistent with what you say you believe. And, and I believe the church at Thessalonica has some things to offer us. And so I want to title this lesson, or the lesson is titled, The Importance of a good start in the faith. The importance of a good start in the faith. I, I, I recognize, you recognize the importance of starting each day off right. Uh, th that's gonna help you to maneuver the rest of the day. Uh, anybody ever start a new job and, and on your first day, you wanna be there early, you wanna be there on time, you wanna be dressed right uh, because it's a new endeavor and, and you want it to be the most productive that it can be. We need to understand the value of the importance of starting our Christian journey off right. Because many of us have seen people start out wrong. And, and we've seen them go down the wrong path. And we've seen uh, crashes and collisions on the spiritual highway. And, and I just believe that we need to be reminded of the importance. The importance of a good start. Uh, some of you can remember the first day you took your child to school, uh, you were as traumatized as your child was. Now come on, uh, you've seen some of these parents when they drop the children off, are they crying worse than their children are? You expect the child to cry because there's a whole new environment and stuff like that, uh, but you have parents who, who won't leave the school. Uh, they have to run the parents off. But you knew the day was coming but it's just hard to let your little baby go. If we can understand that, then we need to understand the importance of a good start as we're teaching people the gospel uh, as they are embarking on their Christian journey. And we need to understand we need to do all that we can 
to be prepared. Now, come on, come on. Those of you who had babies, uh, you didn't wait till your baby was born to go out and buy diapers or get baby clothes or a place for the baby to sleep. All that kind of stuff you did as the baby was growing uh, in your body. That's why you have some of you had a baby shower, some of you had two or three baby showers. So you get more free stuff. Come on, you've been around, these people have three and four baby showers. The only reason for that is so you can get all the stuff that you need and you don't have to pay for anything. One shower is enough. But, but you start preparing before the baby is born. You start getting stuff together. If at the very least, uh, you start saving some money for the stuff you're going to buy if folks don't give you all the other stuff. And so we, we all understand the importance of a good start in just many aspects uh, of life. But I want to say that some of us did not have a good start in our spiritual journey. Now, some of you need to be open and honest and real and stop lying to yourself. Uh, just because you grew up in the Church of Christ does not mean you grew up in a healthy congregation. Just because this is the only church you've ever known does not mean wherever you, you, wherever it was where you came from, there was solid uh, teaching and solid spiritual care there. And so the problem with that is that we are impacted by the stuff that happens when we start off. So if you start out at a bad congregation, you start thinking all congregations are bad. Uh, you start out with poor leadership, then that's just, you have no real expectations that leaders are gonna do anything other than just stand before you and make announcements. My point is, that shapes you. Just like if you start out in a dysfunctional family, you start in a family where there's verbal abuse, uh, physical abuse, that becomes what you know. And if you're not careful, you will continue that cycle. Women who are in, in a relationship with an abuser, if they're not careful, the next relationship will put you back in the same situation. Because that's what you're conditioned to. And you have to unlearn some behavior so that you don't fall back into the same situation. Some of us are still new converts, and we've been around the church 10, 15 years because we have not applied ourselves. And we've been in a place where it was not even expected that you were going to do anything other than just show up for worship service. We need to start understanding that the expectations that we have on people impacts their growth and development. On your job, uh, they expect you to be productive. And if you're not productive after a certain amount of time, you won't have that job. But why is it when it comes to church, we think we can just show up here any old kind of way, don't know nothing, don't come prepared for anything, come with a bad attitude, chip on your shoulder, uh, all that kind of stuff, and expect a good outcome. Some of us have yet to learn the importance of denying self. You cannot be selfish and be a faithful follower of Jesus. Jesus shows us sacrifice. He shows us putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. You, so you can't be selfish and follow him. And you can't rule on the throne with him. Jesus does not have a co-ruler. Either he's Lord of your life or he's not. And the sooner we learn that and fall in line under his authority, the less struggling we're going to do. Some of us are struggling too much with submitting to God. Those should be some of the fundamental things. 
Just like when you're growing up at home, you learn quick and in a hurry the consequences of disobeying your parents. All it took back in the day was one good whipping. Not a spanking, but a good whipping. Where, where's Sister Bethany? Uh, a good whipping. Uh, I have to bring her out whenever I'm talking about this because she works for one of these state agencies that regulates how we discipline our children. And sometimes you, you got to say to the state, this is my child. As long as I don't kill them, they're going to be okay. But we have to learn how to submit to God. And I know just like it was difficult for some of us to learn how to submit to your parents. You got whippings and spankings and discipline and privileges taken away and all the kind of stuff. Uh, and you maybe finally learned it by the time you were 16 to 17, maybe. You don't need to keep struggling with God. God is not going anywhere. His rules, his commands are not changing. And so you're always going to constantly meet him until the day you die. So we need to do ourselves a service by simply falling in line with what we know the word of God says we ought to be doing. Now, in order for that to happen, and we'll see this in our text, is that we need some good spiritual role models. And some of us have grown up in congregations where there were not good spiritual role models. We got to learn how to be honest. Yeah, you had people who led you in services. You had people who preached to you and did a whole bunch of other things. But they were not good spiritual role models. They carried out the functions so that we could have a worship service. But their lifestyle left a whole lot to be desired. And we have to learn, you need credibility to lead God's people. Brothers, we need credit. Not that you're just a biological male, but we need you to have some credibility up in here. That we think you can get a prayer through. So we need some role models. We need some role models that are excited about coming to worship service. Uh, we, some role models that are excited about coming and will show up on time. And when you show up, come to serve. Every time we gather a, as a body, somebody ought to recognize we're going to need some servants. There will always be something that needs to get done. There will always be those things that people sign up for that they didn't show up to do. And so when we come up here, let's be ready to do something. Roll up your sleeves, help out, pick up the paper on the floor, and that kind of stuff. And don't be saying, that's not my job. I think the Bible, New Testament refers to us as servants or slaves. Uh, slaves don't have no job description. They just do whatever the master tells them to do. And, and the sooner we learn those kinds of things, the better off will be in the people who are around us. Some of you were born in unhealthy church situations. Now, until we acknowledge these kind of things, well, we're always going to be skirting around the issue, sweeping stuff under the rug. Uh, I've been here long enough to know that we have some unhealthy congregations in the Boston area. They are congregations. They're going to be here probably until we die. But they're unhealthy. And they said they're just a, a year or two away from another crisis occurring. And you know why? Because the Spirit of God is not dwelling there. The people who are trying to run it aren't submitting to the will of God. And so you, you will have this period of time where it looks like everything's okay and then just something happens. And it's really not something really major. It's just if you're not spiritual, you don't know how to deal with it. 
and you choose to deal with it in a way that frustrates and aggravates people that brings out the worst in them. And so imagine growing up in a congregation where there's fussing and fighting every Sunday at worship service. It's going to be hard to value a peace and tranquil worship service that points us to God as opposed to showing up and wondering who, who, who the show out is going to be on today. Some of us are still struggling with being Christ-like, which means acting like Jesus. We read about it in the, in the Bible and we hear sermons about it, but in terms of making that who I am, in terms of my dealings with other people, in terms of how I view other people, we're still struggling with that. Instead of recognizing that's just the way it has to be if you are following Jesus. You're not following Jesus to be like the devil. You're following Jesus to be like him. And what you and I will discover as we're following him is that you're going to let go of some stuff that's about you. You're going to let go of some beliefs that you've had uh, that you now recognize are not scriptural. They're not consistent with what Jesus wants me to do. You're going to learn that you're going to let go of some people and and stop going to certain places and, and stop watching certain things and stop buying certain things. We need to learn that some of us have not been transformed. Uh, and I'm going to be even bolder to say it this way. Uh, we have some people who attend our congregation, they're not converted. They're not Christians. They have never acted like Christ. The only thing that happened, they got baptized or dipped in the water. And we're sitting around trying to figure out, why is this person continuing to act this way? You know why? Because they weren't converted. They weren't, you, you guilted them into getting baptized, or you scared them into getting baptized, but they never got baptized because they were ready to make a commitment to Jesus, and it shows down the line. And, and someone like that, we got to go back to and teach them again. But this time, make sure we are teaching them and they are understanding what we're teaching them and not be in such a rush to get them to the pool that we don't uh, figure out or ascertain, do they really understand what we've been talking about? The more mature we are in Christ, the less we have to talk about, I'm in Christ. And the more Christ will be seen in my behavior, in my lifestyle. And some of us, the only way people know we're Christians is because you tell them. Because it's not based on how you live among them. I know that that may sting a little bit. But I'm concerned about people growing. I'm concerned about us getting to heaven. Not just having a good time while we're here on earth, uh, but a good time after we leave earth. And some of you need to be thinking about that also. Because if you do, then you'll straighten up. You'll get your affairs in order. So, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I need to give you a little bit of background on the Thessalonians. First of all, this was mostly a Gentile congregation. And as we saw last Sunday evening, it, we see it being established in Acts chapter 17. So Acts chapter 17, Paul and his traveling companions, they eventually get to Thessalonica. Uh, and there is a synagogue there. And Paul goes there. And the text will say he reasoned with them for about uh, three Sabbaths. 
But trouble comes into the city. Persecution comes. And Paul ultimately had to leave the city in fear of his life. But before he goes, the text will remind us that there were some Greeks and Gentiles that obeyed the gospel. And there were some women in the city who obeyed the gospel. But it's a primarily Gentile congregation. Now, I say that to say this. You and I need to recognize that we're going to be dealing with people as we try to share the gospel, people who have known the Bible all their life. And then you're going to deal with some people who know nothing about the Bible. You don't teach those people the same way. The person who has grown up with the Bible has a framework for you to work with. But the person who's never grown up going to church services, never opened up a Bible, can't find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why are you quoting scripture to them? And we'll try and teach those people the same way. They don't have the same foundation. This person over here is going to take longer. This person over here has to unlearn some things. But the good news is that the gospel has the power to convert either group. But we've got to have the right approach when we talk to the individuals. And so some of us, we are one approach people, which is why most of the time we're not, we, are, we are not successful in reaching and connecting with people. Because you got your script and you expect everybody to follow that script. So we've got to get away from talking to people as if they don't know God, as if they don't love God. Now, they may be in the wrong church, but well, you got some people out there who love God more than we do. They will spend all day on Sunday in the church service. And you guys get amnesia real quick after an hour or two goes by. you got to go. <laughs> Why do those people have that kind of devotion? And those of us who claim to know the truth, we just want a little taste. Anybody ever thought about that? Those folk will give till it hurts to support what they believe in. And we got to almost beg you to give as you prosper. Think about that. So in our text, Paul and his traveling companions were not in the city of Thessalonica alone. So we learn from the first verse in chapter 1 is that there's Paul, there's Silvanus or Silas, and there's Timothy there. So Paul uh, does team ministry. And he has these traveling companions who come with, the, with him. And I would, I would help us to understand we do better if we team up, sometimes in ministry. Some of you need a backup or two. Uh, some of you need another set of eyes to help you see and stay focused. And, and the more we know ourselves, the more we understand that everybody here, you, you're not competent by yourself. But you throw some people in there with you, then you can make a whole lot happen. So again, it's about being honest about where you are and what your abilities are. The interesting thing about this congregation in Thessalonica, it was a young congregation. Remember, Paul had only been there for a short period of time, and then he had to get out of town. But when you look at what he says about them, you see that even though he was there with a brief, he was there for a brief period of time, something clicked. They got it. And one of the joys of a teacher or preacher is to see people when they get it, when the light bulb goes off, and they start putting into practice what we're talking about from the scripture. Now, you got a congregation that's primarily Gentile that is new to the faith and a congregation that is experiencing persecution, trials and tribulation, trouble. Now, if a person is not rooted and grounded, when trouble comes, 
they are quit. When obstacles come in their life, when it gets inconvenient, when money is low, bills are due, health problems come about, and if you're not rooted and grounded, you quit. Instead of recognizing, no, God is able to see you through even when you go through those kinds of things. And if a new congregation, a congregation of new converts can get it, why can't folk who have been around the church all their life and for decades, why is it hard for us to get it? Well, some of the issues I talked about earlier is why we can't get it. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians and God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, even though he had been there for a short period of time, had a close relationship with the individuals that he had taught. And so we'll learn later that uh, even though Paul was run out of town, uh, he eventually sent Timothy back there to check on the folk. And Timothy came and give, gave him an update uh, later on about this. But the Thessalonians were connected to the local congregation. I need for you to understand, you can't be a Christian without being a member of a local congregation. This being a member at large is foolishness. This, I'm here this week, I'm somewhere else the next week, and I just visit all the congregations because I want to see all my brothers and sisters and whatnot. You're not going to grow that way. Amen. You need to be somewhere where there's a central focus of teaching instead of going places and getting contradictory ideas and have nothing uh, that you can't merge all this stuff together. Okay, you don't get that. You can't live all over the city if you've got a house over here with a family there. You say, well, this week I'm going to go stay with this person. Next week I'm going to go stay with this one. And, and, and then eventually I'm going to come back home. How do you think them folk going to treat you when you show up after being gone 30 days? And you don't come back with no apology. You don't come back with no explanation. You just come in and sit down at the dinner table like you've been coming home every day. But we'll do the same thing on the congregational level. We'll be gone won't be accountable for why we're not there, and then uh, act like you know, we're supposed to just jump for joy when you finally show up. No, you're the one that's out of order. And, and so I say that to help us begin to, you can't be jumping ship every time there's something you don't like. You don't move out of the house every time something goes on that you don't like. He said, well, I got too much invested in this. I, the mortgage is in my name and all that kind of stuff. Well, you need to feel the same way about the local congregation that you're a part of, that you got too much invested to just walk away. Amen. Now, if we're teaching false doctrine here and stuff like that, I can see you leaving because I'm going to leave too. <laughs> but if it's just because I don't want the clear teaching of Scripture, then I need to check myself. And so, and so Paul sends his greetings, and I, I appreciate one of the things he says to him is grace to you and peace from God. He wishes them God's favor. All of us who are Christians have God's favor. That's why you're here today. That's why you're doing as well as you are. That's why you're on top of the ground and the ground not on top of you because you got God's favor. That's why some of you got some money in the bank. That's why some of you riding some new cars. That's why some of you got some new clothes. And the list goes on and on because you have God's favor. But even more than that, he says you also have peace. See, the older you get, the more you value peace. 
this fussing and arguing all the time. Uh, you, don't, you get to a point where if it's going to be fussing, I'm going to move in another room. Your patience, you see how that just messes your mind up. And some of some church folk like to live in chaos and turmoil, and that's why they're schizophrenic and bipolar and all these other kinds of things. The child of God values peace, so that's why when there when there's unrest at the congregation, you want the brothers and sisters work it out. Work it out. We, we got to be able to worship God, and we can't worship God in an atmosphere of confusion. And Paul says, when you're in Christ, you have peace. Uh, you have peace on one level because you are in harmony with the will of God. You're following his son. And if you're in harmony with the son of God, then you will be in harmony with your brothers and sisters. So when we find people who are always stirring up mess. Uh, they're either out of fellowship with God out of fellowship with their brothers, or all of the above. And so Paul will review, first of all, in verse number three, the present condition of these individuals. And, and look at what he says about these new converts, these people who are new to the faith, and, and match up where you are. So Paul would say in verse number three, we give thanks to God always for you always, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sight of our God and Father. So Paul says, I am encouraged by your work of faith. Our faith needs to produce deeds that honor God. Faith without works, I think James says, is dead. Some of us need to check, and what we're discovering, we've got dead works, dead deeds around us. We have nothing going on that shows we have faith in God other than our mouth. And so work of faith has to do with righteous deeds that honor God, new converts. Remember, these, these are new believers uh, that he's commending. Not only that, he says, but their labor of love, their love for other people. See, one of, the, one of the marks of a Christian is that you love God and you love people. That doesn't mean you love everything people do, that you like everything people do, but you understand. If I'm going to be in relationship with God, I've got to be in relationship with those that he created. That's why you and I need to work on patience and tolerance and all those kinds of skills, because everybody's not going to be like you. But they still deserve your love. How hard do you labor at loving other people? This goes beyond putting a card in the mail. This goes beyond sending a text and say, oh, I'm thinking about you today, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing besides those kind of things that don't cost you nothing? That don't take no time. Everybody, oh, well, I'll put a card in there and I'll pray for you this day and forget about you the rest of the week. So Paul says to these new converts, your faith stands out, and the love that you have for one another stands out. And then he says, you guys have hope in Jesus, that you understand that while he's gone now, he's coming back again. It's important to have that steadfast hope 
Because if I understand he's coming back again, I'm careful of how I live now. I, I live as if he could come back right now. So I don't have the luxury, I'm, well, I'm going to get right. No, you got to stay right. And once you came out of the water, that was your time to recognize you got to stay right now. So in order for that to happen, you got to learn how to please him and learn how to grow in the faith. Because he may come back when you have an elapse. And you and I need to recognize we, we don't have the luxury of having a lapse. You don't have the luxury of taking a spiritual vacation that lasts four, five, ten years. And so you hear people talk about, well, you, I got baptized and then, you know, I went out in the world and stuff like that, um, and I'm back. How do you know you're back? You're back at attending the services. But has this thinking really changed? And so what you discover is people are back, but their thinking is still messed up. Because the word of God has to transform our thinking. I, I can know I need to come to church service on Sunday and still not show up. Or I can know I need to come to church and, and come, but my attitude is not right. I'm, I'm clock watching. So from the time service starts, I'm watching, uh, okay, it's uh, 11, 12, 15, he ought to be finished by now. So as we learn submission, then you learn once you come in here for worship service, you're here until it's over. And you don't control when it's over. And so if you want a 30-minute worship service, you need to stay home and stream. If you come to the building, you're going to get the full experience. And some of you who've been streaming for so long have forgotten what the full experience was like. Because in streaming days, everybody shortened the services down to try and do all the kind. Now we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. We, we, we back. So, so don't be thinking about lunchtime and all that kind of stuff. It, lunchtime will come when it comes. Now, I know you ladies got a meeting after work, but you'll meet whenever we finish. Yeah, it's about having that discipline and stuff like that and begin to learn uh, those kind of things. So he tells about their present condition. These are new converts. Uh, these are individuals Paul did not have a whole long period of time to, to stay with them and teach them, yet they got it. And we need to try and figure out what caused them to get it. Part of what caused them to get it was an open mind as they were being taught. Because a lot of times we don't have open minds. So in verse number four, Paul will commend them because he recognized that they are genuine Christians. See, we need to see some genuine Christians. We need some people who love God and who are just trying their best to walk like he did. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But they're putting forth their best effort. You and I need to put forth our best effort. You put forth your best effort Monday through Friday on your job. And sometimes your best effort is to stay after hours. Sometimes your best effort will cause you to come in early. Sometimes your best effort will cause you to voluntarily go back to school to get some training so you can be better on your job. All of the stuff we'll do out there, but up in here, I don't have to do any of that. That's not important. So in verses 5 through 7, we see evidence that Paul mentions that the Thessalonians had been converted. He says, first of all, you guys responded to the preaching of the word. 
it is important that people respond to the gospel message that's being proclaimed to them because they are convicted about the message, not because somebody else wants them to. Now, now I'll, I'll just drop it. In the past, some of you traditionalists, you Pharisees, you've gotten people baptized just so you can marry them. And you'll say, I'm not going to marry anybody unless they're a member of the Church of Christ. Okay, you get them baptized, and a week later, you marry them. And two months later, they're not coming to church services. You know why? Because they, they were not converted to Jesus. They just did what you wanted them to do since you said they had to be baptized in order for you all to get married. Now, who's really the hypocrite, them or you? You're trying to fool us because they got baptized. They're a Christian. They just got wet. So Paul says about these Thessalonians, they responded to the preaching of the word. And then he says, uh, you guys saw the kind of men we were, referring to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They saw something in the lives of the men who were teaching them. Church, we need to see something in the lives of the people who are teaching us. And on a larger scale, church, we need to be conscious of who it is we let teach us, who it is we let teach our Bible classes, and who it is we let preach to us. Because they are going to shape us, whether we realize it or not. And so I'm thankful that uh, the Thessalonians saw something in Paul and others that said the message that they are giving, that they are living consistent with it. It is amazing the power of a good example. Paul would later go on and, and, and say that uh, they were followers of us and Jesus. I like it when he said they were followers of us and Jesus. And so they were imitating Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but they were also imitating Jesus. You know why? Because their teachers were imitating Jesus. And so the teachers are following Jesus, so the teachers can't help but teach Jesus. And therefore, he could say, you followed us, but you also followed Jesus. You and I need folk in 2023 to follow Jesus. We got to be willing to make sure we're pointing people to Jesus. And you got to every now and then help them to understand, I am a human being just like you are, and I'm subject to make a mistake, so don't put me on, on no pedestal. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And then when I do that, I need to make sure my behavior is consistent with that statement. So if I mess up in front of folk, I acknowledge it. Don't mess up and then just move on as if it didn't happen. Them people watching you. And then he talks about the fact that they had joy in the midst of their suffering. I need some of you old heads to understand Suffering and problems should not rob you of your joy in Christ. If suffering and health issues and all this is robbing you of your joy, you need to check yourself. Because there's a difference in joy and happiness. Christians have joy, which does not change because our joy is based on Jesus. Your happiness is based on how you feel. And when you feel good, you got a smile on your face. When you don't feel good, you got a frown. And so if we stay connected to the right source, we will have joy. It doesn't mean uh, we won't feel down every now and then. But see, when you're part of a family, when you start getting down, we're going to come and say something to you to remind you 
God has not left the throne. You're not out there by yourself. Uh, this problem is not so big that you need to let it consume you. And then we're going to encourage you, let's pray. Let's pray, because when you focus so, too much on your problems, then you start loosening your grip on reality. And so they had joy even in the midst of persecution. Remember in Acts chapter 17, Paul had to get out of town. Paul, Timothy, they had to get out of town because of persecution, the objection to the message of God being preached. So these people who, who, stayed, who were left in Thessalonica had to deal with these same enemies who would not have been happy with the gospel message being proclaimed. And they were primarily Jews. Said differently, you know, one of the groups that we have the most trouble with are religious folk. Non-Christian folk will leave you alone. Uh, but these, these folk, folk who claim to be Christian because it has to be their way or no way. And, and they're not focused on what scripture says, which is where we need to be. And then Paul would say to them that even in the midst of your suffering, you held on. Anybody got some trials going on in your life today? Anybody got more bills than you got money? Anybody, you sick and tired of taking pills for all these health issues you got? Anybody got a pain right now? Don't give up. Don't quit. Help is on the way. And Paul then moves on to say, you became examples. So they had had good teachers who were good role models for them. But Paul says, you guys got it. And so now you are examples to the people around you and the communities where you are. And so that's what, what happens if you're growing in the faith. The members of the local body will be examples to the people out in the community. And so our witness, our, 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 our evangelism is catapulted because there's some changed lives in the community. Folk are tired of seeing religious hypocrites. They're, they're tired of seeing people who say one thing but do something entirely different. They're tired of the church scandals. They want to see real, genuine Christians who are consistent with what they preach and teach. Verses 89, we see how they were faithful in spreading the gospel. Paul was saying in the text, they, you know, because Thessalonica was a major port city, there was a whole lot of commerce that went on, so you had people coming in, going out. So they were sharing the gospel, even with the local citizens, but also the travelers that were coming through. And as we incorporate this in our lives, and we are being these kind of people, you will take every opportunity to share the gospel. You're standing out in your yard, and you and your neighbor just talking about whatever. Uh, some kind of way, you know, I go to church in uh, Abington. And where do you go to church? There's a conversation right there. Death comes into your neighbor's home or in your friend's home or co-worker home. Here's an opportunity for you to be gracious and godly in that situation. And say, by the way, when I go to church tonight, I'm going to ask my church to pray for you. That kind of stuff will catch people's attention. Because people aren't just saying that anyways. And so the Thessalonians were not limited to just sharing the gospel in their gatherings. So we'll get to the point, if we're not careful, if there's a visitor, if there's a guest that comes in the building, we want to jump on them like a shark on meat. 
because it's easy and it's convenient. But we won't leave our homes or do anything during the week to share the same gospel with the same kind of persons that we're going to meet. Paul will go on to say, you know, I don't need to say anything to you guys. You guys are doing this. You, you guys are doing what Christians ought to be. And I'm hearing about your faith, not just based on what I know about you, but from what, what other people are saying. And so he says, I don't, I don't need to say anything else to you to encourage you to evangelize or share the good news. In verse number nine, he says, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God and true God. So they have their own testimony. Here's this Gentile uh, congregation, and people are knowing the environment that they, the, the church exists in, knowing the makeup of the congregation, and they are seeing in their behavior the power of conversion. They're seeing the, the power of real repentance. And that people are turning from one thing and going in another direction. We need to see that more and more where people actually turn toward God and they leave unrighteousness alone. It's possible. It can happen. But you got to get out of this thinking of just doing church just to be doing church. So he says they turn to God, which means they turn in the opposite direction of where they were. Gentiles, pagan worshipers, worshiping multiple gods. They left that stuff alone to worship the God. They served idols in the past, but they turned to submitting to Jesus. And they recognized they needed to leave their old way of life alone. Do we understand? You need to leave that old stuff alone. So you can't dibble and dabble and stay focused on where you ought to be now in Christ. So if you're going to follow Jesus, change will happen automatically. And you're going to have to get to the point where are you going to be willing to let the Lord, the Holy Spirit, change you? Or are you more comfortable in your old identity? See, as a Christian, the old man is dead or at the very least, is dying daily. And you're putting on the new man, which means you are developing some habits, some behaviors that you didn't have before, and you have to be okay with that. You're discovering, oh, I'm reading my Bible more than I ever had. That's a good thing. Oh, now before I eat my food, I pray. That's a good thing. Or before I go out and spend money recklessly, now I start thinking about do I actually need this? That's a good thing. Instead of just going out every weekend partying hardy with your friends, you recognize that's too much money to be spending on stuff like that. So when you start thinking like that, okay, we got some conversion going on here. When, when, when the sale flyers does not bother you, the, the sale flyers can come and you just put them in the trash can. Okay, are you all putting them in the trash can? Yeah. Or are you pulling out the credit card in the American Express and the MasterCard and saying, let me go get this sale. 
And so you want to go out and spend money on the sale, but you're forgetting you got to give to God as you prosper. But this sale is just too good. It's not going to come along for another year. <laughs> but you don't need what you're going to go out and buy. Exercise some discipline. Learn to deny yourself. And then in verse number 10, we learn about them patiently waiting for Jesus to come back. Anybody waiting for Jesus to come back? Uh, you, you recognize that's not a bad thing. So if, you're, so if you're a Christian, you don't fear the second coming of Jesus. You welcome it. Because that just ushers me into heaven. I'm not scared. Because I know where my faith is. It's anchored in the word of God. And, and as I understand the word of God, then what I need to recognize is that you, all of us will have to go through the judgment. But, but if you haven't done anything to be punished about, why are you worried? We worry because we know we have not done all we should do. We worry because I, we know there are times when I should have stood for Jesus and I didn't. We worry because I'm allowing a lot of worldliness to imp uh, impact my thinking. Believers wait for the return of Jesus, and we wait expecting it. So we, we, we make sure we stay ready, which is why when we have ought against our brother, we fix that stuff. You don't want Jesus coming back and you're mad at people you're supposed to be worshiping with. You, you, you fix it. And you don't let your pride in it. Well, I'm going to wait for them to come to me. They may never come to you. If you know, then you go straighten that thing out. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. We're waiting for the resurrected Savior to come back. Uh, and the idea of waiting is waiting in trust. You, you're waiting in trust. Uh, we sing the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. Anybody trusting God today? Anybody believe that if you died right now, you're on your way to heaven? Okay, let me, let me get some hands. If you died right now, you know you're on your way to heaven. Amen. Keep them up. Keep them up. Because <laughs> I'm going to count. Okay. That's not all of us. And that's not everybody who claims to be a Christian up in here. Here's a teachable moment. If you could not raise your hand then you have some work you need to do on yourself. So stop acting like everything is okay. You just said it wasn't okay. You're not even confident if you died today, you're going to heaven. So start working on the areas that you know you're weak in. Stop fooling yourself and act like you're okay. You just said you're not okay. By your hesitancy or your unwillingness to raise your hand, uh, raise your hand doesn't mean you're going to die today. It just means that to the best of your ability, you're getting your business straight. And you're working to keep it straight. So he points out in the text, Jesus delivers. See, that's why you got to stay with Jesus. And what you're going to understand is as you stay with Jesus, you're going to see some people fall away. They're not going to stay with Jesus. You cry about it. Or you're sad about it. But you don't follow their example. Because everybody is going to have to stand for themselves. Judgment day, you're not going to be judged with your spouse and your children. Your spouse and children will have to stand for themselves. 
And the more we start understanding that, the more we are supportive and we try to encourage folk. But you can't live as a Christian for them. So as I conclude this, this afternoon, first thing is that you and I need to learn that we can't control the world. So the world that we live in is the world that we live in. There's just a whole lot that goes on in the world that you and I have no control over. Satan controls the stuff that's around us. And so Satan's job is to mess us up. It is to let things happen, create things that will throw us off. And so in order for that not to happen, you and I need to recognize, recognize we need to continually feed ourselves this. I don't have to know all the worldly philosophies that are going on and keep up with all the kinds of stuff. That's useless information. And some of us know more about useless information than we know if biblical information. You can't control that. So focus on what you can control. You have no control over who's going to be the next president. You, the only thing you can do is vote. So stop looking and trying to predict who's going to win next year. Focus on living today. You may not live to vote in time. Recognize what God expects of us is to give ourselves wholly to him and to his word. So the Thessalonians could be spoken of the way they were by Paul in this first chapter because there was a commitment to doing the things that they had been taught even in the midst of persecution. Now, we're going to discover as we read the, 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 the letter, they had some issues too. They, they had some things that they were ignorant on as it relates to the, the scriptures, and so Paul is going to write them some things dealing with those issues. But you couldn't deny they were growing spiritually. You couldn't deny that they were evangelistic. You couldn't deny that there was a commitment uh, to following the example of Jesus. Third, don't be afraid to be honest about yourself with yourself. See, you can lie to Maurice all you want to do, but don't lie to yourself. And some of us, we, 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 we lie so much about our spiritual condition that even when we have the opportunity to tell the truth, we won't. So in your house or in your bathroom or in your secret closet, you need to, when, you, when you're just you and God, you need to be honest about where you are and ask the Lord to help you. And as he is helping you, as he is helping you, then learn how to have some humility and learn that one of the benefits of being a part of a local congregation is that you have some spiritually minded people who will help you. Everybody here is not a gossip. Everybody here is not going to put your business out on Facebook. And if we find out some people are doing that, they'll be dealt with. Trust God in the process, live up to his expectations, and see what he will do in your life with you and through other people. Everybody here has a cheering squad on your, on your side. You just need to get out of yourself and recognize it. Stop acting like we're your enemy. That folk here who've done a whole lot for you, sacrificed a whole lot for you, and then when you get in trouble, you act like uh, you don't know us. That's why you're continually having the mess that you have. And then finally, we're going to learn this, hopefully one day before we die. Let the Holy Spirit 
do what the Holy Spirit was given to do, which is to change us, which is to help sanctify us. Learn you're not supposed to be like everybody else in the world. Stop trying to be. You're God's people. You're a royal priesthood. They ought to be wanting to be like us. And the sad thing is we want to be like them. You want to talk like they do. You want to dress like they do. You want to go where they want to go. And we only want to think about God one day a week for a couple of hours. And then I'm back to my worldly existence. If you want to be effective in the kingdom, what we do here in worship service has to permeate all week. It's all week. It's incorporated into all your relationships. And you start understanding, you don't half-step with people. You don't compromise the gospel to get along with nobody, including your spouse. And definitely not your grown children. Because whether you realize or not, what people want are good spiritual role models. They'll never say this to you. It's just like a, a, a child. A child may complain about mom and dad, but they are made to feel safe and comfortable because of the structure in the home. See, there's some things that you and I do. Folks never will, will come back and say thank you for it, but you need to know you're doing the right thing. And then trust God for the rest. It is important that we have a good start on our faith journey. Sometimes you wonder why this person appears to be more spiritual than that person, this person is more committed and connected than that person, and the list goes on and on. It's because of how they started out. Some of us start out with a very good, strong support system. Others, others of us didn't have that. And so we have a rougher time, but it doesn't mean we can get to, that we can't get to where we need to be. It's just that we've got to go through a little something. So think about that the next time somebody plays membership with us. Think about that the next time someone is baptized, that we need to do all we can to help them have a good start. So don't come talking to them about church problems. Don't come giving them your opinion about stuff. Be loving and kind and encouraging to them. All that other stuff they will learn in time. But don't let you be a stumbling block to anybody. I, I think Jesus gives us a picture of what's going to happen to folk who are stumbling blocks to other people. As you look at your spiritual journey, let's be real. How many, how many of you had a good start? And how many of you didn't have a good start? And just look at your own situation. You can begin to see how it has impacted you. And some of us say, oh, I'm thankful I had the parents that I had. Well, some of you need to be thankful you had the church family that you had also because they helped you to stay anchored spiritually. And then some of you need to recognize, yeah, while I love the people over at that place, it, it was not the healthiest spiritual environment. But you still love the people. But you wouldn't want to go back over there. Okay, once you had a good meal, 
it's hard to go back to scraps. Once you've gone to a, a, a one, uh, brother, uh, A1, what's the qualification of these restaurants? A1, A5, five, okay, five-star, whatever. Once you've been at a five-star restaurant, it's hard to go back uh, to some of these mom-and-pop places. And I'll let you apply the rest there. This day, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, you have a confession that you need, you need to make, we're going to give you the opportunity right now to respond as we stand and sing the song of encouragement. And a friend to save me in the end, oh, tell me where, where could I go but to the Lord 